0: Greenie with Mike Greenberg, the podcast.
1: Back and better than ever, Greenie presented by Progressive Insurance. Jane Pack today on the Goodyear Hotline. McShade today. Willie Mays today. Shafty has a lot to say. Sports Justice takes a different look, and plenty of time for your calls. All that and more. It's a Thursday. Let's do this. Here we go!
0: Only one place to start. Listen, it is going to take a miracle for Aaron Rodgers to play quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. I love Aaron Rodgers. Don't get me wrong. But it's time to go. It's it's time to go. You can't let one sour apple spoil the rest of that because he doesn't want to be there.
1: Our one place to start is brought to you by 1-800-Flowers, and that one place is with... Aaron Rodgers, right before we went on television this morning, Adam Schefter tweeted the Packers have begun exploring quarterbacks they can add to their roster for upcoming OTAs and training camp. These inquiries could be in part because Jordan Love is currently the only other quarterback on the roster aside from Aaron Rodgers. The reality is setting in in Green Bay, and my friend Chris Canty, whom you, everybody in New York knows certainly uh, from 98.7 ESPN New York and played forever in the NFL, good enough to hang out after get up and spend a few minutes here, so well, I appreciate it very much. And, and so, Chris, I would love for those who were not with us on TV this morning to hear your take, literally what you just said about how you feel the Packers have handled slash mishandled this situation.
0: Well, they mishandled it because they didn't communicate to Aaron Rodgers that they were thinking about taking a quarterback a year ago in the NFL draft when they decided to take draw- Love. They blindsided Aaron Rodgers, and I think that's where it starts, the mishandling of it. Not the decision to take a quarterback, but the fact that they didn't give him a heads up. Greeny, we saw a week ago the Minnesota Vikings gave Kirk Cousins a heads up when they were thinking about taking a quarterback, drafted Kellen Mond in the third round. The the San Francisco 49ers told Jimmy Garoppolo, although I'm sure he figured it when they traded up, that they were thinking about taking a quarterback. Now, those are middling quarterbacks, no disrespect to either one of those guys. We're talking about a guy that's capable of having MVP caliber seasons. They didn't inform him that they were thinking about it, and I feel like that's
1: where the disrespect comes into play. And that's why Aaron Rodgers is taking this all so personal. And and so you know, th- there's an expression that people sometimes will use, where like like you're dead to me, like that's it, you're just dead to me. You think that they are dead to Aaron Rodgers, to use that colloquialism, and that he is out of there no matter what happens. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers is done. He's not playing
0: in a Packers uniform again. And this is going to be the first time in NFL history where you have a reigning MVP suit up for another team. So Brian Gutekunst can put that on his resume as well. But I mean, that's going to be the reality for the Green Bay Packers. And the longer this plays out... The, the closer they're going to get to realizing that Aaron Rodgers is not going to be a part of their team moving forward, and they're going to have to use him as an asset to be able to bring back whatever it is that they can in order to surround Jordan Love with the pieces he needs to be successful because they're going to have to get the Jordan Love era things in Packers football kicked off sooner than they planned.
1: All right, I happen to completely agree with you. Chris Canty is in studio with a straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless, no contract, no compromise. I I love talking football with Chris. So while I have you, let's go through a few other things as we kind of wrap up the draft from last week. You host the show in New York City. Both New York teams did very well. What was your big picture takeaway from the Jets draft? I, I love
0: what the Jets did. They're making sure that they're not repeating the same mistakes that they did with Sam Darnold by putting the pieces around Zach Wilson. Being able to move up to get Elijah Vera Tucker at 14, I thought was a brilliant move by Joe Douglas. All that draft capital that he had acquired from the Jamal Adams trade and from moving Sam Darnold, it came in handy in terms of being able to maneuver and work the draft. But I mean, it's going to begin and end with how Zach Wilson performs mm. as a quarterback, but but... but I feel like because everybody in the organization was in lockstep with the decision to move
1: forward with Zach, he's going to have every opportunity to be successful. Well, to your point, if it's going to work for him, they have to put him in a position where he can make it work for him. And I agree. That was well done. The other New York team, the Giants, I think also had an excellent draft as their general manager, Dave Gettleman, did stuff he never does, which is he trades back multiple times to get an extra number one in next year's draft. What did you think of the Giants draft?
0: Well, it got out to an ominous start because the Philadelphia Eagles jumped the New York Giants, who were at 11, to get Devonta Smith. Remember, they moved up to 10. But when you saw the plan for Dave Gettleman, he didn't panic. What he decided was, rather than to take somebody that was on the board at that point at 11 – I'm going to move back and get value where I'm going to pick at 20, knowing that there's a team that wants to come up for one of those quarterbacks, being able to pick up an additional first-round pick, and a mid-round pick next year, I thought that was huge. And then getting Kadarius Toney, a wide receiver that has a skill set that no other wide receiver on the New York Giants has in terms of his ability with yards after catch, I thought that was a brilliant move, and it fits with the offseason plan of continuing to surround Daniel Jones with the talent that he needs to be successful because this is a huge year for Daniel Jones. And for Dave Gettleman, this is their quarterback's third year, and the first two years were shaky seasons. You're talking about combined 39 turnovers for Daniel Jones. So this is a show improved year, and if Daniel Jones doesn't live up to the draft hype and being taken sixth overall three seasons ago – then it probably won't
1: just be him on his way out of town. It'll be Dave Gettleman, too. I'm with that. Greeny, Chris Canty with me here on ESPN Radio. How about the team that traded up there? What did you think of the Bears going up there to get Justin Fields? What do you think he becomes there? How quickly and what does it mean? Well, Greeny, they had to do something. I mean,
0: we laughed about it when the Chicago Bears a couple of months ago put out the tweet with Andy Dalton as QB1. Mm -hmm. We said, listen, you had the worst quarterback situation in your division last year. Adding Andy Dalton, you still had the worst quarterback situation, so they had to figure out a way to try to upgrade the talent in that quarterback room. I think Justin Fields is going to be great for them. He's, he's got the skill set for where today's game is going in terms of what you would want your quarterback to be able to do. Now it's just up to Matt Nagy to make sure that he puts him in positions to be able to do what he does best, which is use his legs to be able to extend it down. He's going to have to get some on-the-job training. He's going to have to be the guy sooner than a lot of people think because he's also going to be the guy that has to save Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace's job, and we all know that that seat is getting warm as well.
1: Now, Chris Canty here. I I wish everyone could have seen. Keyshawn came in and did a segment with us on television this morning, and as we're setting that up, the two of you with your Laker (laughs) oh, the Laker love that's flying back and forth. So let me ask you the question I brought up yesterday. LeBron at 36, a little bit hobbled right now. We'll see. Brady at 43 and bringing back everybody, you know, to try and make another run at another championship. Both of them, the the immortals, right? I mean, you got the two Mount Rushmore athletes of our time right now, both aging. From this moment forward, who wins more rings? Not not who winds up with the most total. But starting today, who wins more championship rings, Tom Brady or LeBron?
0: I'm going to go with Tom Brady, and it has a lot to do with their path to a championship. When I look at the Western Conference— That is the premier conference in the NBA. I mean, you're talking about five or six teams that are in the conversation for the next several years for competing for championships. When I look at the NFC, I mean, it's Tom Brady and then it's those teams in the NFC West that are cannibalizing each other. The NFC North and the NFC East are still trying to get it together. So I feel like... The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have an easier path. And then, of course, we've talked about it. Them bringing back all of their starters and Antonio Brown. I feel like Tom Brady has a a supporting cast that's going to give him that opportunity. It's a
1: really interesting point. I mean, if we're just going to look at it as far as the quarterbacks are concerned, if Rodgers leaves the NFC, which I think we both think is the likeliest scenario here, You know, the AFC becomes a murderer's row of quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. I mean, in every direction you look, you would have 13 bonafide outstanding quarterbacks or potentially outstanding quarterbacks in the conference. In the NFC... Who would become the next, well, I guess Russell Wilson, but his team isn't all that good. Like, you're not looking at anywhere near the caliber of quarterback competition that Brady would be facing in his conference. I think that's a very good point. Yeah, I mean, you would look at
0: the L.A. Rams because of how good their defense is with Matt Stafford and Sean McVay being one of the best offensive minds in the game. But, I mean, really, Greedy, that's it. The Seattle Seahawks, they've got their warts. The San Francisco 49ers are going to be breaking in a rookie quarterback. We'll see what happens in Arizona. I did like what they did this offseason. But, I mean, it really is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and everybody else, especially if Aaron Rodgers jumps ship and goes to the AFC. So, again, I like Tom Brady's chances. I'm not going to say that I don't like LeBron's chances because I'll never bet against him either. I'll be the last one to that party, too. But I just feel like it's an easier road to go.
1: If you're Tom Brady, one more for you, quickly again, and I really appreciate you hanging out here. I talked yesterday about sports justice, and that was in the in the category of um, the the Yankee fans booing the Houston Astros, and that's just that's just the way it works out. Justice gets meted out mm-hmm. in sports in different ways. That brings us to what happened last night on the ice in this game between the New York Rangers and the Washington Capitals. We led t- the TV show with it this morning because. The NHL didn't act on something that was obviously a blatantly dirty move, and so the players decided they had to take it into their own hands and you had literally 100 penalty minutes in the first period. What did you think of the way... Justice was served on the ice last night.
0: Well, the Rangers went out there and did what they had to do. I mean, they had to send a message to the Capitals, but also to every other team around the National Hockey League about who they were and what they were going to be about. And if you see what Tom Wilson did, going after Bucci the way he did, going after the bread man the way he did on Monday night, Like, they had no choice. They had to act. They had to be aggressive. You saw it, Greedy. You had 72 penalty minutes in the first four and a half minutes of that game, 100 penalty minutes in the first period. So they were sending a message. Last night wasn't about trying to win a game against the Caps because, let's face it, the Rangers' season is over. That was about last night sending a message about what they're going to be about and making sure that they're defending their teammate, which I thought they did. But shame on the National Hockey League for not doing more. George Peros and and, uh, player safety and discipline, they should have suspended Tom Wilson. He should be off the ice indefinitely. He's a habitual line stepper. What he did the other night jeopardized the health and well-being of both of the players that he attacked. And quite frankly, that type of violence doesn't have any
1: place in the National Hockey League. Or or on any on any playing field of any kind in any sport. Chris Canty, just outstanding work. Great to see you again, my man. It's been too long. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you for stopping by. Uh, Coming up next, there is one thing in sports that has to be said today, and I'm going to say it next, whether anyone is willing to listen or not. That is on the way after this word from 1-800-Flowers.com. Listen, everybody. Mother's Day is Sunday. And one eight hundred flowers and I have partnered together to give you a chance to win great prizes. Through three o'clock Eastern Time tomorrow afternoon, you can enter to win one of four two hundred and fifty dollar one eight hundred flowers gift cards and one grand prize of thousand bucks. It couldn't be easier. Here are the two things you need to do: go on Twitter, follow the at ESPN Radio handle, and then just retweet the tweet that you see pinned to the top of the page. It says, hashtag Mother's Day sweepstakes. Just retweet that. Just do those two things. At ESPN Radio, retweet that tweet, and you will be entered. Complete rules are available at ESPNradio.com. Just getting rolling. This is Greeny. Come on back. Help. dot com slash Greeny. G R E E N Y.
0: Greeny, the podcast.
1: Hi, Greeny, with you here on ESPN Radio. I'm presented by Progressive Insurance. My guest on the Goodyear hotline, one of baseball's oldest records is going to fall this year. We will tell you which one in the next few minutes. But right now, let me give you 30 seconds for some straight talk. Saving money feels good, but cutting your wireless bill in half, that feels really good. Like walk-off home run in the ninth good. With Straight Talk, you can get 25 gigs of high-speed data for 45 bucks a month, up to 50% less than the other guys, plus no contract. All on America's best networks. Why pay a whole lot when you can pay half? Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. All right, there's something I just need to say. And then I'm just going to say this once, and I'm not going to belabor it. And I need to say something about Jerry Krause. Now, I have no idea if it is true that Aaron Rodgers is sending texts to people comparing the general manager of the Packers, Brian Gutekunst, to Jerry Krause or not. Um, It doesn't make any difference. I need to address the way we view Jerry Krause today. And I understand the way he was painted in Last Dance. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that is an inaccurate depiction of the way a lot of people felt about him in the 90s. Jerry Krause, if he were alive today, would probably tell you he was a cantankerous, difficult person to deal with at times. He could be be a very challenging person to deal with. But I do think that sometimes in the way we have sort of turned him into a, it, it makes me very sad because we've turned him into a caricature um, of, of a person. When in reality, what should be said of him is that Jerry Krause is in the Basketball Hall of Fame because he is one of the great architects and team builders in the history of that sport. He richly deserves to be in the Basketball Hall of Fame, and it is an absolute travesty that he did not live to see it, and that his family did not get to enjoy that with him. Um, he was he was voted into the Hall of Fame posthumously, and uh, that makes me sad because Jerry Krause. Say whatever else you want to about him, Jerry Krauss hand picked. Phil Jackson, who was coaching the Albany Patroons of the CBA, who everyone in the NBA thought was a drugged-out hippie and no one was the least bit interested in. It's not my words, by the way. It's other people's words. And he put him on his coaching staff, and then he elevated him to head coach when no one was even considering doing that. Phil Jackson won 11 championships as a head coach, including six of them there in Chicago. The world wasn't clamoring to get Scottie Pippen in that draft, Scotty Pippen wasn't the first pick in that draft. Uh, Jerry Krause worked out all kinds of deals that brought Scotty Pippen to Chicago, Horace Grant to Chicago. He traded Will Perdue straight up for Dennis Rodman. How'd that work out for those three championships? And he had a never-ending array of players that he brought in and out every single year, recycling them around the big stars on that team that always wound up playing big roles, whether it was, and not limited to, Trent Tucker, Craig Hodges, Bobby Hansen, um, Scott Williams. Uh, There were a ton of guys, and I'm leaving many of them out. So Jerry was a lot of things. I'm not sitting here to defend Jerry Krause as a human being, although I I think that there were far more... um, redeeming qualities about him than sometimes get pointed out. But was he difficult? Absolutely. Was he cantankerous? Absolutely. Did the players hate him? Absolutely. Primarily Pippen, because he wouldn't redo Scotty Pippen's deal. And you saw that whole story in Last Dance. I'm not going to relitigate all of that. My job here is not to defend Jerry Krause as a human being. I didn't know him that well to begin with. But I do think when you look at Brian Gutekunst, too, I, I don't have anything against him, I've never met him in my life, but he's never won anything. He's never accomplished anything of consequence. To be like, well, that guy's just like Jerry Krause. No, he's not. Jerry Krause is in the hall of freaking fame because he did an unbelievably good job building six NBA championship teams and doing a lot of it from scratch. The only piece he inherited was the most important piece. Everyone takes everything else away from him because he inherited Michael Jordan. And I get it. Was Jordan the most important part? Absolutely. Of course he was. But Michael Jordan didn't win all those championships by himself. And every other piece that was put in place around Michael, Jerry put there. So I just, I don't feel like anyone else is going to say it. So I'm going to say it. People love to pick on him and make fun of him on Twitter and all that kind of stuff. And I get it. And the way he was painted in that documentary just is what it is. I'm not sitting here to tell you that you should feel otherwise. But what should not be left out of that conversation is that he was an absolutely outstanding basketball executive and built six championship teams which is more than almost anyone else in the history of that sport and i just felt that needed to be said i'm greeting. i'm presented by progressive insurance you could save big when you bundle your auto home motorcycle rv or boat visit progressive.com
2: the list is what determines who matters in this business
0: Ring
1: list. All right, let's have a little fun today. Let's lighten the mood a little bit and let us wish a very happy 90th birthday to arguably the greatest baseball player that ever lived, the legendary Willie Mays. And so I turn to my vice president of baseball insight, and that is the one and only hashtag Hembo. If one were to say... If I wanted to make an argument that Willie Mays is the greatest player ever, could I defend it? Would you be able to successfully defend it? Yes, and we'll try here very shortly. Okay, so we will get into that in a minute. Let me give you the top five for today's green list. The top five things you should know about Willie Mays on his 90th birthday. Number five. Did you know that Mays missed most of the 52 season and all of the 53 season serving in the military? Now, take into account, he finished with 660 home runs. 54 shy of what was at that time the record held by Babe Ruth. So while we cannot prove it, it is logical to figure that with Mays in his absolute prime at that point, that it would have been Willie Mays, not Henry Aaron, who first surpassed Babe Ruth's home run record of 714. But he was serving our country in the military. That's number five. Number four. Number four, using modern metrics, the threshold of an all-time great season is one in which a player produced 10 wins by himself. He had a 10-war. Willie Mays did that six different times. All active position players today have combined to do it three times. Mike Trout has done it twice. Mookie Betts has done it once. That's the end of the list. Willie Mays did it six times. Only Babe Ruth did it more. Number three. Number three. Mays blended power and speed in a way that no player ever even considered before. I want you to listen closely to this stat. They used to steal bases in Major League Baseball, okay? Willie Mays, when he retired, was one of 91 players who had 300 stolen bases in his career. Okay, 91 guys. As far as home runs are concerned, amongst those 91, the next guy on the list hit 154 home runs. Mays hit 660. <laughs> 660. He combined power and speed in a way that no one could even fathom at the time he was doing. Number two. Number two. You want to talk about unbreakable records? Willie Mays recorded 7,095 outfield putouts in his career. The active leader in that category today is Andrew McCushion. He is at 3,414. He's less than halfway (laughs) to Willie Mays and the all-time record. Number one. But number one, this is just the best. If you want to just put a number, and baseball can put a number on anything as to how valuable Mays was. If you add up the contributions of his hitting, his fielding, and his base running, he produced 156 wins all by himself. That is more than the value generated by Pete Rose and Reggie Jackson in their careers combined. Willie Mays, I would make the argument is. Oh, I like it. I like it a lot. Willie Mays, let's make this some straight talk. Brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Hembo, if I wanted to make the argument that Mays is the greatest player of all time, how do I do it?
2: Well, Babe Ruth is widely considered by historians to be the greatest baseball player of all time, but almost everyone universally will agree that Willie Mays is the best. And all you have to do is go through those statistics that we just demonstrated, because no, like, there was no such thing as a power-speed player before he came along. Like, you see guys in baseball today do it all the time, the like 40-40 players and such. No one considered that kind of thing before Willie Mays came along. You couple that with the fact that he is easily considered the best defensive outfielder to ever live. You blend all that stuff together. It's very difficult to make an argument for anyone else.
1: He made the most famous catch in baseball history, probably the catch off Vic Wirtz in the 54 World Series. But is he, that's the other piece. I just want to make sure I'm asking a question I already know the answer to. Is he considered the greatest defensive outfielder of all time?
2: Yes. And he did it in center field and he did it in those ballparks, the polo grounds, (laughs) the, the <laughs> nearly 500 feet to center field, and then eventually in San Francisco in Candlestick Park. The amount of ground that he had to cover was unfathomable, and he did it better than any player in the history of baseball.
1: You know, it's, it's fascinating with Mays. I, I feel like, and, and I don't know if all generations feel this way. Like, sometimes I sit here and I talk to you, and I think to myself, maybe you're starting to think I'm sort of old. But I feel like the appreciation of history... The history of sports, and in particular, the appreciation of the history of baseball, is not what it was when I was a kid. Now, obviously, I was raised a lot closer, just in time, to Willie Mays' career. So all this time passing, and he turned 90 today, I'm old enough to remember him at the very end of his career. Like, I remember him playing with the Mets, I mean, only at the very end. Mm -hmm. And people remember that, sadly. Like, it hurts people to remember what he was like, because he was a shell of himself at the very end of his career. But I feel like when I was a kid, I knew everything about Willie Mays just because that's what you knew. If you were a sports fan, you didn't just know the players who were playing today. You didn't—you knew the history of the sport and not just Babe Ruth, but you knew all sorts of other people as well. You didn't have to have a candy bar named after you in <laughs> order to be someone whose numbers you know. I just wonder. It's actually an interesting question. I don't know how to get the answer to it. Like, what would the Q rating of someone like Willie Mays be right now? Like, my, my kids, I wonder if they even know who Willie Mays is. And, and, I, and if they don't, that's my fault. I guess I have no one to blame but myself. <laughs> but people should know Willie Mays. Like, that's why I wanted to do this today. When you first suggested we should do a, a, a list today on Mays on his 90th birthday, I, would, I could not be more all in. Because if you're going to appreciate sports, if you're going to ever appreciate anything in life of where you are, you need to first look at where you've been. Like, there were three things, as, as Jim Valvano said, where have you been, where are you, and where are you going? And, and we can see where we're going. The sport is going a lot of interesting places. But it has been a lot of interesting places. And where it has been is Willie Mays. Now, Willie Mays, you could make an argument, is the greatest player of all time. Happy birthday to the Say Hey Kid. Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. Speaking of which. I'm
0: ready to go right now. Oh.
1: Green, light Green light with Greeny. Yeah. I right, was doing a little baseball here today, and I'm going to give Hembo the green light because you were the one who put this in my head before the season even started. That's right. I will give you enormous credit for that. And we had another no hitter thrown yesterday. Should have been a perfect game. All right, so we, we have a no-hitter that is only separated from a perfect game by a dropped third strike, or at least a missed third strike. That's the only base runner of the game. But you told me before this season mm-hmm. started, the record for no-hitters in a season is going to be broken this year.
2: I did. The record for total no-hitters in a season is eight. That record has stood since 1884. Green 1884. <laughs> I'll tell you something funny about the 1884 season. It was the first season in which National League pitchers were allowed to throw overhand.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And and they threw eight no hitters because everyone else for the entire previous history of the sport was like, wait a minute, you're supposed to be tossing this thing underhand like this, like we're playing softball or wiffle ball or something like that. And and now all of a sudden you're coming over the top here and you're throwing this thing hard. And so there were eight no hitters and there haven't been in a season since. And there were going to be this year. We already have three in the can. We already have. We have four in the can. I don't want to hear it.
2: I don't want to hear it. Okay, hold on. We have Joe Musgrove, Carlos Rodon, and then the one last night, and Madison
1: Bumgarner. I don't care what you say. He threw seven no-hit innings in a game that only lasted seven innings. I'm going to campaign to make that count. We have had four no-hitters this year.
2: That notwithstanding, there have been 13 no-hit bids of at least six innings this year. That is already more than the total from last year. Greeny, again, eight is the record. I would not be surprised if we saw 10, if we saw 12, if we even saw 15. Because right now, as Tim Kirkshen said today on the TV show, we are seeing the most dominant pitching in the history of baseball, especially when you consider velocity, how hard these guys throw. And you're also seeing just a ton of all-or-nothing hitters go up there and, and, and try to hit home runs even with two strikes. That equals 8, 10, 12 no-hitters. But my
1: something judgment. has changed this year because... Guys have been going up there, swinging from you know, their heels, mm-hmm. corkscrewing themselves into the ground. That's not new this season. That's been going on a couple of years, and yet, as you just said, this year it seems to be decidedly more. Why? Very
2: much so. It's hard to say why it's decidedly more, but I will say this. Major League Baseball, this past offseason, made it a priority to start looking at, looking at the future. They hired Theo Epstein to do this. They've obviously done a lot of things in the minor leagues to try and experiment with different ways we can inject more offense into the game. So they obviously viewed this year as something of a precipice, and they were right. Just for a quick moment, though, Greeny, this was funny to me. You know, I, I really like old baseball names. You love old baseball names. I like names. old baseball names a lot. Would you mind if I read the no-hitter, no-hitter list from the year 1884 to you?
1: All right, so let's be clear. You're going to read to me the mm-hmm. names... Of the pitchers who threw no hitters yeah. in 1884. Yeah, I just enjoy doing this. Okay, one. do go through them slow. Okay, Al Atkinson? Al Atkinson. Wasn't there a football player name? See, that's not an unusual. Al Atkinson is a very normal name. It is. Ed Cushman? Ed Cushman sounds like a builder, but okay, that's fine. <laughs> I feel like he should have built, you know, the skyscrapers, but okay, Ed Cushman. How about Ed Morris? Ed Morris, we all know an Ed Morris. Frank Mountain. Frank Mountain is, <laughs> I mean, I don't know a lot of mountains, but, I mean, it's not a—go ahead. Uh, Larry Corcoran? Larry Corcoran is a very normal name. How about Pud Galvin? All right, stop there. Mm. Pud Galvin is a name that has always fascinated me. Like, was that his given first name? Stand by. I can check on that. I, I mean, he's a Hall of Fame pitcher. I, I get it that he's a Hall of Fame pitcher, but who is—I mean, I don't mean to disrespect anyone if you have that, but, I mean, has anyone actually said, like, this is my son. I'm going to name him Pud. So his full name
2: is James Francis, but he also goes by Pud. Gentle James, or the little steam engine, (laughs) and I'm not making that up. (laughs)
1: Okay, why does he go by Pud?
2: Uh, I'm guessing it's probably has to do with the fact that he was five foot eight, (laughs) and 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 a little bit large. Um, Okay. So there's Pud Galvin, Pud Galvin, Sam Kimber, Sam Kimber. Okay. And the eighth, uh, I neglected to mention, Dick Burns.
1: (laughs) Why are you laughing at that over there, uh, Brandon? let Let me
2: spell that. Dick, Dick Burns? Dick B-U-R-N-S. Dick Burns threw a no-hitter in the year 1884. His name was Dick Burns? It was. No, my question for you is this. If you no. have a little...
1: No, I know what the question is.
2: <laughs> if you have a little baby Burns, right, might you consider a
1: name other than Richard? Uh, uh, well, here's what we don't know. Because mm. we're going to be very delicate in how we uh, approach this. The thing that makes that funny... <laughs> May not have been the case in 1884. <laughs> oh, like I don't know when that became funny. I don't know when it was that a person having the name Dick Burns became something that you could not say without it being funny. Again, I, it's it's funny. It is. I, I, we all know why it's funny. We're not going to say any more than that. But it may not have been funny in 1884. Let's, let's name him Richard. Right? What could I, go wrong? It it, it is not it, to me. It is not impossible that that was not funny in 1884. (laughs) It is most definitely funny now. All right, we have not had enough time for phone calls this week. I'm going to open up the phone lines to you right now at 888-SAY-ESPN with a very simple question. What do you want to know? I got answers if you've got questions. If you can get through Bubba, you're coming to me. 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. Your calls after this word from 1-800-Flowers. Listen, calling all last-minute Mother's Day shoppers, and you know who you are. I have been telling you for years, and especially these last few weeks, to go to 1-800-flowers.com right now. If you didn't take advantage of the offers, 1-800-flowers still has you covered with amazing deals on Mother's Day gifts-from bouquets and plants to gourmet treats and sweet surprises. They have everything you need to make sure that mom feels the love and appreciation. On her special day, I have been using 1-800-Flowers again. They've been a partner of mine going back. It's got to be over a decade now, and I have been using them for all of my Mother's Day needs, and they always do a fabulous job. Whether you want roses, lilies, daisies, anything, all blooms from 1-800-Flowers are picked at their peak. They're available for same-day delivery. Today is your last chance to lock in the amazing Mother's Day deals, so order now Here's how you do it. The last-minute Mother's Day bouquets, arrangements, and gifts. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com, click on the radio icon, enter my name, Greeny, as the code. That's 1-800-Flowers.com, and type in the code Greeny. Back in a flash on ESPN Radio. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
0: Greenie, the podcast.
1: You're listening to Greeny on ESPN Radio, brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union, proud to serve members of the Armed Forces, DOD, veterans, and their families. Our members are the mission. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. Every now and again, Bob, just likes to throw some Taylor Swift in there because he knows it puts a little spring in my step. Indeed, it does. I'm actually going to go see my daughter is the one who turned me on to Taylor Swift. Going to see her today.
2: You've not heard of Taylor Swift without your daughter? I I had heard the name.
1: I know that. But I had not. I I obviously knew that there was a person named Taylor Swift. But I know all her music intimately now.
2: I think you said it before, but didn't you set up a situation in which your daughter met her and thus here. built you equity for the rest of your life
1: correct here right where we're standing I mean or right now we're sitting but right where we are in this studio Taylor Swift was here and I brought Nikki and I can do no wrong Well, that's not true I could do no wrong for the remainder of that day those things only last about a day when you're a dad all right let's go to the phones 888 say ESPN haven't gotten in enough calls this week we've been jam-packed and I want to hear from you today the game is what do you want to know you ask me a question and I'll answer it for the first time today we say good morning to Bubba hello Bubs. yep all right who's our first caller we got Nathan Nathan what do you want to know
2: hey so I want to know where y'all think the Lakers are going to sit with LeBron being hurt and uh, if they're going to be in that play-in tournament
1: yes I think there is real concern that the Lakers are going to be in that play-in tournament now I had this conversation with Keyshawn off the air today and he remains perfectly confident but here's the reality of it there are two concerns you have if you're a fan of the Lakers today the first is is, is LeBron going to be healthy the entire run through the playoffs? Now, when I brought that up to Keyshawn, he said, well, this, at, when you get into the playoffs, no one's fully healthy. I get it. But I'm hearing people say that that is an ankle that is going to require months of rest, and he's not going to get it. The second is you wind up in that play-in tournament, and you wind up staring at Steph Curry, who can have one of these games where just nothing you can do about it. He's going to start knocking down 35-foot shots, and he's going to beat you all by himself. So do I think there is some cause for concern for the Lakers? Yes, If I had to bet my house on one team to come out of the West, I would still pick them, Mm. but with a lot less confidence than I would have, you know, three months ago, or than I would have expected. Greeny on ESPN Radio. Bubba, who's next? Next up is David. All right, David, what do you want to know?
2: Hey, Greeny, I want to
0: know that now that Tua's got weapons in Miami, do you think he's going to blossom? well into a quarterback now that he has people he can work with in an off season to work it's
1: with a really good question. I mean, it's the, it's the trillion dollar question in South Florida. I believe that the dolphins were in the Deshaun Watson conversations back when that was a thing. And um, obviously that has gone away for a variety of reasons that have nothing to do with football. And if they could get themselves involved in Aaron Rodgers, I have no idea if Rogers would want any part of going down there but if you put Aaron Rodgers on the Dolphins instead of Tua, I, I think the Dolphins are the Super Bowl favorite in the in the AFC, inclusive of everyone, including Miami, uh, including Kansas City. Tua, let's give him a shot. I mean, look, I'm old enough to remember when teams were tanking for him. I don't think last year was a a fair evaluation. You saw some good. You saw some things that give you some pause. But let's say this. That is a playoff caliber, bordering on championship caliber roster they're building around him. So I don't think they'll have great patience. I think it's his job this year. But I think he's going to have to prove that that he is the guy that they want him to be. Or I could see them moving on a little more quickly than you might have expected, because I think that team is that good around him. Greeny on ESPN Radio. Bubba, who's next? Jesse. Jesse, what do you want to know? Greeny, quick question.
2: Uh, Are the Dodgers going to be okay with a repeat? And before I let you go, go Navy
1: beat Army. Okay, fair enough. I appreciate that. Are the Dodgers going to be okay? Yes. I mean, what, they got swept by the Cubs? Is that why we're asking if they're they're going to be okay?
2: They've played really badly over the last... Well, they've really played badly since you talked about playing for them yourself. It's really been about two weeks now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's that's right. I believe the Dodgers' slide coincides perfectly with me saying they're so good, they could carry me on the roster and still win the World Series.
2: Ever since Dave Roberts had to answer those questions, the team has essentially tanked.
1: That said, and every team in the sport is going to have a bad two weeks, if you had to bet your palatial estate they New Jersey Hembo on one team to win the National League pennant this year. It would absolutely still be the Dodgers.
2: 100%. They're 2-8 over the last 10 games. But like you said, every team's going to go 2-8 go at some point. They're absolutely loaded. They'll still go to 100.
1: Dodgers and or the field in the NL? I
2: think the field, but I'll take the Dodgers if you make me pick one team.
1: All right. Who's next, Bubba? We got Pat. Pat. What do you want to know? Hey, Greeny,
2: I just want to see if you think that Joe Douglas has done a good uh, enough job this offseason to give Zach Wilson the necessary weapons and protection that he needs to succeed with the Jets.
1: Yes, I do. I mean, I think Joe Douglas has done an absolutely sensational job. It doesn't make any difference anymore whether I thought they should have built around Darnold or not. They made that decision. And the most important thing they need to do is not do unto Zach what they did unto Sam. And I think they've done that. They went out and they they got Corey Davis and they got some offensive weapons and then they drafted. They made the aggressive move to draft another good lineman. So they should be building a good line in front of him. And they drafted the running back, Michael Carter, who I love, out of Miami. And Elijah Moore, the the, the clear-cut answer is yes. I, I think Joe Douglas has done an excellent job this offseason. I got time for one more, Bubba. Who we got? Let's go to Kevin. Kevin, what would you like to know?
2: Greeny, I'm a, I'm a Knicks fan. Tom Thibodeau has done a
1: great job making them relevant again. So, with that number four spot in the East, how deep of a playoff run do you think they can make? I could see the Knicks winning around easily. I think there are three big teams in the Eastern Conference, and I don't think in a seven game series the Knicks beat any of them. So, Philly, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee, I think, are the three teams. That are locks to make it into the the NBA, you know, the Eastern Conference Final Four, and then we play it out from there. Could I see the Knicks being the fourth? Sure, I don't see any reason why not. Depending on how the whole thing falls, I don't think the Knicks are a threat to beat any of them. But I think they've had a sensational season, and I think they're building something with an outstanding coach who I think is the coach of the year. They have identified one player who. Superstar is a complicated word, but I think Randall is approaching that, and they need one more. It's just that simple. In the NBA, you need one more guy like that if you're going to take that next step. Excellent calls today. Thank you for those huge hours still on the way. Stay right where you are on ESPN Radio.